Hey, second more view. My freshman year of college, walked in my dorm room, was setting up my room. I only had like a basket of stuff, right? Hardly had anything with me. I started meeting people in my hallway. And it just happened that the people who live next door to me, a guy named TJ, a guy named Brandon, they were from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and their youth minister was there just to welcome them to campus. And that youth minister ended up gathering a few of us in the hallway and just praying over us, thanking God for us. I was like, who, who would do that? Who's the guy who would just come in a dorm room and start praying over strangers? But it was such a blessing to me and other people. And then he ended up speaking that week at Welcome Week. Since then, Mitch has become a, a dear friend of mine. Mitch was a youth minister at Park Plaza Church of Christ at that time, and then he transitioned into the, the preaching role in that church. It's now called the Park Church of Christ. They're a multi-site church in Tulsa. Uh, last year, Mitch was sick with COVID, was in the hospital for, uh, Mitch, I don't remember if it was two, three months, a long period of time, and there were days that they did not think Mitch was going to make it. He was on our prayer list here at church. Many of you prayed over over him for uh, many, many days, and God spared his life. And Mitch, we know whether you lived or died that you live in Christ, but we are grateful that you are alive. Mitch and I have had a chance to speak at the same places over the years, and when we do that, we go grab bacon cheeseburgers and fries, and I just I love this guy like a brother, and I'm so, so glad that he is in Memphis today with us so Sycamore View, will you give my friend and brother Mitch Wilburn uh, a warm Sycamore View and Memphis welcome. With you today, uh, bless, bless, bless. Thank you for those prayers. Uh, 18 months ago, that run-in with COVID, I am here today only by the grace and the goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ and His healing power. It is good to be here with you. I've known Josh, I've known Jim Hinkle for decades now, and I have known this church through them. It is good to be here this morning, a word of how you live out the Lord and how you display His heart in this community and city goes before you. And I've already left a note on Josh's desk that this is a, a beautiful group of people. I have been welcomed this morning in the best of ways, and so thank you for having me here with you today. Well, I got here a little bit early last night because, uh, like Josh, I'm a recovering Texan, and uh, that means my bar for barbecue is pretty high. And uh, Memphis, y'all have a reputation that goes before you. And so I went out last night, and the reputation held up. I may hit another spot today at lunch. Fantastic. I, I saw a little fender bender last night, got in a busy part of town. And it, it made me remember, it wasn't that long ago that I was headed home after a church gathering there in Tulsa, and, and the traffic started backing up on this you know, pretty little busy road out by the mall and where all the action takes place. And as I crept up on the accident, oh, my heart just sank. It was one of the boys in our youth group who had just gotten his license. And I mean, he's been a little fender bender. He's out in the middle of traffic. He's hit a, a young lady, looks to be just a couple years older than him. I'm aware that his family has been going through some trials. This is the last thing they need is a, you know, for his insurance to take on a, a wreck in this first week of driving at age 16. And so I, I pull over and say, hey, Brent, young lady, y'all don't need to be out in the middle of traffic with this type of a wreck. Come on, pull your cars over here and we'll exchange license and phone numbers and insurance and all that. And they do. And well, call the parents. Her parents show up, and the car's drivable. They leave. 
Brent's car is drivable, but he's a little bit shaken up, and so we're going to wait on his mom and dad to show up. And I'm remembering back to my youth ministry days. That was quite a while back. What, what do you say to a young man in this predicament? What words can his maybe lead now senior pastor, minister, preacher say over him to, to comfort him? And as I'm searching for the right words, I've known Brent all his life, he, he looks up at me, he's a little bit perplexed, but his face, I can't quite make it out. And he looks at me and says, Mitch, you know that girl I hit? I said, yeah, Brent. He goes, man, she was hot. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm trying to comfort this young man. I just know he's crushed of heart because of this accident, and his mind is someplace else. And I, I say, oh, there, big fella, calm down. And as he, you know, we go back to, okay, now here's that ministry moment where I'm really going to say something that's going to stick with him. And he looks up again. He goes, you know, Mitch? I go, yeah, Brent. He goes, I got her phone number. I go, oh, my God. Yeah, okay, okay. So, so Brent had a little bit of an encounter there where that young lady was worried about repairs. Brent was thinking about a relationship. If you've got your Bibles this morning, please be turning to Matthew chapter 17. We're going to look at a little run-in Peter has with Jesus. In fact, three run-ins. The first two, we won't spend many t much time on the first two interactions. But they set up the third interaction that's going to speak to us today. Action is able to do in paying taxes. Well, we're going to see that as the shotgun has been rifled from 12 to 3, it now comes to 1. And a one-on-one -on -one conversation is going to happen between Jesus and Peter. And this conversation is not just going to be the confirmation again, it will be that, of who Jesus is. But we're going to see that Jesus is more concerned about letting Peter know who he is. And so in Matthew 17 and verse 24, I'm going to read from the MIV right now. This is the Mitch International Version. It's got a slight problem with the translation, but I'm going to share it with you. And then in a moment we'll get to... Uh, better rendition of God's Word. I want to have a little bit of fun to have something stand out to you in your minds. Matthew 17 and 24 reads this way. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked, now, now doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Peter, who's never had a problem getting his words out in front of his thought process, says, well, of course he pays the temple tax. Who do you think this would be? Now, let's pause for a second. Peter knows who Jesus is. Peter knows whose house is in Jerusalem. Though the whole world cannot contain him, our sovereign God has chosen the temple to be his home. And Peter has just said, well, of course, this one I'm following, who I know is the Son of God, pays the temple tax. And as he goes into the house, Peter's kind of thinking to himself, if anybody's not going to pay the temple tax, it would be this guy that I'm following. When he was a carpenter, the son of uh, Joseph and Mary, that made sense. But now that I know he's the Son of God, maybe I spoke too quickly. And as he comes into the house, we continue reading, Peter came into the house and Jesus was the first to speak. Well, what do you think, Simon? He asked. From whom do the kings of earth 
collect duty and taxes from their own son or from another? From another, Peter answered. Then the son would be exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that I may not offend them, go to the lake and not a net, just throw out your line. We don't need a bunch of fish today, just one. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you'll find a two drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax. We're very clear now, Peter, I don't owe it. You know who my dad is. I know who my dad is. I don't owe it. The kings of earth don't collect duty and taxes from the prince, so to speak. But we don't want to offend them. So go fishing and get my tax and give it to them for me. Now again, that's the MIV version. And if it was the Mitch International Version, that'd still be some good truth. That's Jesus now a third time saying, let me confirm to you who I am. My dad owns the temple. He lives there. It's his place. And I don't owe anything there because I'm his son. Matthew 17 and 24, though, reads this way. The correct version. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked, Well, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Well, yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think there, Simon? From whom do the kings of earth collect duty and taxes? And here's where you've got to believe the conversation took on a little physical drama when Jesus says, Do they collect it from their own sons? See, what I read earlier in my poor rendition was singular. The Bible here is plural. And Jesus here is not just conveying again who he is. He is now looking at Peter and says, do they collect it from sons or from others? And Peter, with a little bit of stammer in his voice this time, goes, because he can't believe what he's hearing. I know who you are, but it seems to be that you're conveying to me who I am. They collect it from others, Peter answered. Then the sons are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may, not, uh, we may not offend them, go to the lake, throw out your line, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you'll catch a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and for yours. Church has good news, amen? Our God has not just come to let us know who He is, He has come to let us know who we are. Is this passage about communicating Jesus' identity? Yes, but it's so much more. After it does that, it is about communicating Jesus' identity and our identity because of Him. Hebrews 2 and 10 says this, In bringing many sons to glory, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Romans 8, 15 and 17 of the message says, This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, What's next, Abba Daddy? God's Spirit touches our spirit and confirms who we really are. We know who He is and we know who we are. It is father and children, sons and daughters. This is the word of the Lord first point this morning is this. You can't know your true identity 
until you know the Bible's claim about his true identity. Amen, church? There's a lot of people out there today trying to capture and learn their identity. In the order in which we've seen these three encounters with Jesus, you've got to know who He is first before you can ever know who you are in Him and because of what He says about you. Our whole world right now is obsessed, obsessed with trying to find out their identity, your personal ID. Try getting to your bank account. Try getting on a plane without that. Then there's your cyber ID, your online ID. People identify with this race. Now they identify with that gender. You have passcode identification. You have these ideas, IDs and those IDs on these ideas about who you are. Your true identity and who you're called and created to be because of Jesus Christ is a child of the King. It begins, number one, by knowing who Jesus is. Knowing who He is. You've got those friends, church, where somebody says, Hey, hey, do you know Janet? Well, I know Janet. Well, do you know Bill? Oh, I know Bill. Y'all hear the difference in that? We all know what that means. Today I want to ask you, church, do you know Jesus? Or do you know Jesus? You can't know who you are if you don't know Jesus and have a walk with Him as Peter had with Him. There's a second thing about your true identity. It's about knowing Jesus. It's about knowing it comes from grace. It doesn't say that Peter received this after he had done this or that or the other thing. It is a gift from God. Number three, there's something to be said about proximity in knowing who you are because you already know who Jesus is. What do you mean by that proximity? When Peter was with the twelve, he still didn't know who he was. When he was with the three on the top of Mount Transfiguration, he still didn't know who he was. He knew who Jesus was. It's when he was alone with him in the house that Peter finds out who he is. There's a place for all three. There's a place for big groups. There's a place for small groups. But there is definitely a place where you get alone with Jesus and the proximity of following after him where he lets you know who you are. Also know this, and we'll get into this. It's about obedience. It's about obedience and knowing who you are. It's an open-ended story. There's two in the New Testament that Jesus tells, or he's a part of. The prodigal son is one. What do you mean open-ended? It just kind of ends with the father begging both sons to come to the party. And we never find out if the older, grumpy Pharisee son goes in. You can kind of figure out what he does by watching the Pharisees who hear the story. But Jesus never completes the story. Well, how is this an open-ended story? No fishing trips recorded. It's a Jewish form of storytelling where it leaves it to the imagination of the hearer. I think it goes a little bit like this. Peter gets his fishing assignment. He goes to the door. He opens it up. Eleven guys fall in because they've all been listening. Steps over him. Hey, Peter, where are you going? I'm going fishing. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't go back to fishing. We've been called to be fishers of men. Jesus, what did you say to him to discourage him like this? He's going back fishing for fish. No, no, Peter. No, no, he, he told me to go fishing for fish. Well, we got nets over here. I don't need nets. I got one hook. I got one line. I got one worm, and that's all I need. And left to the imagination is Peter. Boy, he's done it a thousand times in his life as a small child. 
and he zings that line out there, and he waits, and he waits. Boy, Peter can't wait. He's pulling the fish to him as he's going to it. The 11 and Jesus are watching from the shoreline, and Jesus is smiling because Jesus knows what's going to happen. And Peter's ankle deep, he's knee deep, and he's waist deep, and he picks up that fish. And from the backside, you just see a silhouette reach in and go. Somebody says, well, I don't know if that story ever happened. I think when Jesus tells you to go fishing, you go fishing. And I think he caught that fish because he continues to follow. What has Jesus called you to do in obedience? And that, that leads to our second point this morning. You can't confirm who you are until you trust him with your obedience. You can think you know who you are because you know who he is. But until he tells you to do something and then you do it and find you could trust him in the obedience, that's when the confirmation comes. Peter obey obedience confirms his identity. How do we obey? Number one, it's right there in front of you in what you do every day. Help me out with that one, Mitch. You've lost me a little bit. Well, did Jesus tell Peter to go bake a cake? No. Did he tell him to go hoe a row for some farmland? No. I think if he'd been a farmer, he would have told him that. I think if he had been a baker, he would have told him to go bake up some bread. But he told the fisherman to go fish. And it's in what he knew where he finds through obedience who he is. We got a lot of people today who are school teachers saying, well, if I could do this for the Lord, right there in that classroom, you do that for the Lord. We got people who are bankers. Well, if I could be a missionary in that land, God has put you in the land where he wants you right now. Right where you are, right with your trade, right with your context, right in your family. Well, if I had that family, then I'd really... No, no, it's with this family. And number two, how do you obey? Just one thing. It's not always a net. If I could do all these things and catch all these fish, one line, one hook, one fish. I'll close with this. I was 48 days, so a month and a half with COVID. Uh, I was intubated once, extubated, intubated again form of a septic shock I'd never heard of called DIC, uh, code blue, heart stopped, should not be here today. Praise God, amen. He saved my life. 26 days when I had COVID in that COVID unit, I hadn't been touched. I'd been touched, I'd been poked, I'd been prodded, I'd been stuck, I'd been pressure cuff by some of the most caring, wonderful servants our planet will ever know. But my wife couldn't be with me, my kids couldn't be with me, and they had more patience than they knew what to do with. One night at 3 a.m., I smelt him come in again. You say, you smelt him. Daniel would always come in at 3. He was an orderly. You say, well, Mitch, that's kind of cold-blooded to say you smelt him. It actually gave me great comfort because he was dipping wintergreen Copenhagen. That was keeping him awake. And the part of Texas I'm from, that actually made me feel like I was back home. And he would tell me not to tell anybody, and I'm going, who am I going to tell? 
And he, he was a big old boy, and he would come in, and he'd empty the trash cans. Daniel Gates. And one night, I finally decided I was going to check in my man card. Ladies, you may not know that, but we really do have man cards. And this next thing I was going to ask, my man card was gone. To a complete stranger, and I hadn't been touched in 26 days, had been extubated once, was headed into a second intubation. My, my temperature was somewhere around 105, two masks on, turned up all the way. And I got that mask off, and all I could get out was, Daniel, there's a sink over there. And if you could wet that washcloth and put it on my head, I sure would appreciate it. Now, at this point, he can say, you got COVID, I don't. I'll let your nurse know. That's what he should have done. And all I wanted was a cold rag right here. I heard the yes as the water came on, and the rag and the hands went under, and the ringing out happened, and a complete stranger came over. He wiped my head for 15 minutes on a Sunday morning at 3 a.m. I took that mask off again. I said, Daniel, this is Jesus stuff. And he said to me back a response I'll never forget. He said, Mitch, if you knew me, you wouldn't say that. Holy Spirit only, through the drugs and the fever, got this out. Daniel, there were two guys one time. And one guy said to the Lord, Hey, God, I'm all that in a bag of chips. You're lucky to have me. And another guy humbly said, If you knew me, you wouldn't say anything good about me, Lord. Daniel, that's the guy that Jesus says, That's my guy. Daniel did one act of kindness in his profession. And it led to the beginning of an understanding that went forward from there of who he could be in Jesus Christ. This week, in the middle of your life, there's going to be an opportunity and a call to do one act, to obey. And it is in that obedience you will confirm not only who he is, but who you are in him. One thing he's called us to be about today, sons and daughters of the king, what's next, daddy? is to come and gather at his table. That's what families do. Maybe you've been far away for a while, maybe online as you worship from home. You've been far away in many ways. Know this, your daddy's calling you back right now. And an act we begin with right now is letting him look at you and go, the sons and the daughters, and let him include you in his family as he takes the bread and then lets us receive it by His grace. Let's go to our Father in prayer. Almighty God, we look forward to this next week, this next season, of having ears that are attentive to how You will call us, Father, into Your work. Be with us, Lord. Be with us now as Your work has been finished. And Father, we enjoy the grace and goodness of being at Your table with You. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.